Um, we're going to open up the text now, so turn your Bibles to Acts chapter, uh, where are we at? Acts chapter 16. Okay, Acts chapter 16. If you haven't been with us in the book of Acts, uh, let me give you a recap. And as I'm doing that, just like my brother here just did, we've got Bibles for you. So if who needs a Bible to follow along with us this morning, don't feel weird about this. We do it every single week, pass them out. So if you want a Bible, just raise your hand, we'll bring this to you. Okay, anybody? Come on. Here we go. Ready? No, I'm just kidding. All right. So Acts chapter 16, again, if you haven't been with us, Acts is the story of the early church, okay? So right now, oftentimes we think we're, we're at church, right? So you're at, you're at church, right? But really, you're just at a worship service at a local expression of the church here in Flagstaff, Arizona, okay? The church is the collection of God's people, not just here in this city, but across the entire world. Redemption Church Flagstaff is one expression locally of that, right? But what we get to see in the book of Acts is the birthing of the people of God in the New Testament after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, okay? They are then given this mission as he ascends to heaven to take the gospel, the good news that he lived the life that we could not live, he died the death we deserve to die, and he rose on the third day to bring new life, redemption, restoration for every individual in the whole world, right? This is the good news they're told to bring to the world. Now, We've seen this story go pretty well so far. And if you're here last week, you had an opportunity to hear Anthony preach, which I thought was fantastic. He was calling us to continue to step into God's mission. But by setting aside maybe some of the comforts, some of the things of this world and of this life that say, no, no, care more about this than, than care about God's mission. And, and yet maybe we lay that down for the sake of what God is trying to do. So the text that we get to look at today uh, really surrounds something we call God's stories. So at the start of every staff meeting, uh, me and my staff get together, and, and we ask one question at the beginning of our staff meeting, and, and it's, what God's stories are out there? And by God's stories, we simply mean, what are you seeing God do in and through you and around you, okay? Now, about a year and a half ago, we, we started asking these questions a little bit uh, more consistently for our staff. And one of the things that we found initially when we started asking the question is we kind of put the question out there, and if we're honest, that as the staff of our church, uh, it, it, was, it was largely silent, okay? So, so when asked to the staff of Redemption Church Flagstaff, hey, what is God doing in, through, and around you, uh, there, there was kind of crickets, and that, and that was somewhat concerning, right? Uh, and so we began to triage and diagnose why, why this could be as a team, that we weren't really seeing or experiencing or knowing that God was moving. And so we came up with a few different reasons why we thought this might be happening for us and I think might be happening not just here in, in our church, but in the church in general. And the first one was that I just don't know how often we, we pay that much attention. Okay, so, so a lot of us, listen, uh, you're working, right? You, you have families, you have responsibility, uh, you have school for you students, okay? And so you just kind of go through your day and you're like, listen, I, I, I'm not really paying attention to really think about anything beside what's right in front of me. And that makes sense, right? And, and some, that makes sense. You got to get through your day, get through your life. And so we often don't pay attention to maybe what God might be doing. That might be reason one. I think reason two might be uh, we just don't realize how much he's actually doing. And here's what I mean by that. I think oftentimes we, we see the good things in our life uh, and then we attribute that to us, right? So we're like, okay, well, this is going really well, but that was me. Like, like I did that. Or we, we see the good things happening over there. Well, that's because this person handled their business correctly, okay? And so even though God is the one at work, we attribute it to something else other than God, and so then we miss it as well. Uh, I think maybe the third reason, and maybe most convicting, I think ties into what Anthony shared last week, is that um, I think we often 
put ourselves in positions that don't allow us to see God move. And here's what I mean by that. I think we have oftentimes made and managed our lives to be so comfortable, so set in the ways that we want it, that we functionally don't even need him. Okay? Now, now hear me. We definitely, practically, theologically, more than you will ever realize, need God. Right? Colossians 1, that he holds all things together. The things were made through him, for him, by him. That if he does not exist, we do not exist. You don't breathe today unless God is sustaining this world. But, but I think that if we're honest with the way we've kind of orchestrated life, think about your finances, I think about my finances, I've done such a great job managing it that I don't functionally need God, I'll take care of myself there, right? So I, I don't want to be overly generous because then that might start to impede and make me be dependent on something other than me. And that's somewhat disconcerting. And so I think maybe the, the main reason why oftentimes we miss what God is doing is because We've just overcomfortabled our lives. Even when it comes to evangelism and sharing our faith and mission, right? It's like, oh, I don't, what will people think? I don't know what they'll say. And so we're so guarded about our image and our status and what people think that, that we won't say anything. And so how are we, we going to see God move if we're just so tightly wound to and bound to our created situation? mentor and, and meet with a lot of you guys and we'll sit down and say, man, I'm just not seeing God do anything. Where is God? I feel so distant from God. I say, well, where do you need God in your life? And they'll say, what do you mean? I say, well, where, where, where do you need? Like, if, if he wasn't there, you'd feel it. And I'll tell you what, man, most of the time, there's not an answer to that question. And there should be, okay? Like, for the life of the Christian, we're going to see a few different stories say God's stories, right? God moving, God's showing up in the midst of, like Anthony preached last week, a early church who is saying, man, let's lay it down, let's pay attention, and let's move where God's moving for the sake of his mission, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of the gospel across the whole world and region, yeah? And so that's what we kind of, that's the context of what we step into today. I remember when I was uh, in college, I was a 18-year-old freshman at San Diego State University, and I get saved and, and, and I've shared this before, but I was just like this real zealous Christian. I, I talk a lot. I'm kind of loud. And so I was like, hey, I guess everyone needs to know this, right? And so I was the guy at San Diego State that was just pulling everybody aside. Hey, have you read this, this thing called the four spiritual laws, right? Everyone was getting the four spiritual laws from me. One day, we're walking uh, on the beach, and it was just me and some friends. And we decided just to go, like, care for people at the beach. You know, we were buying food and doing different things. And off in the distance, we see this girl standing on the, the edge of the water, right, as the tide's coming up, and, uh, and just something, right? I'm like, okay, I don't know why she's there. I don't know what she's doing. She's off in the distance. We couldn't have thought nothing about it except for the fact that for some reason I thought we should go talk to her. And so I literally start sprinting through the sand. And if you know me, I'm not a sprinter, right? Like, that's just, I walk everywhere, okay? And so uh, all of a sudden, I get over to this woman, and, and I, I, I touch her on her shoulder, and I say, Ma'am, this might seem strange to you, but how's your night going, you know? Right away, she just breaks out into tears, right? Just starts bawling, okay? I say, man, like, what's going on? She says, uh, you know, just had a tough night. I said, all right, well, is there any way I could share with you about this guy named Jesus and what he's done in my life? And then she starts, I mean, it's pouring at this point. I mean, eyes are just draining. I'm like, man, something, something's going on here. I said, what's up? She says, 
I kid you not, one minute before you ran over to me, I prayed and asked a God I don't really believe in, that if he's real and wants to save me from killing myself tonight, that he would send someone to talk to me. And I was like, she says that, and I'm just, I just go, oh. <laughs> That's what I thought. No. I'm just, I, I'm just floored, but I was like, okay, God, like, this is amazing. And so we, we, we get to talk to her about the Lord and about Jesus and about what he's doing and why we would just randomly be there and et cetera, et cetera, and how nothing is truly random because there's an author of this whole story. And, and she, you know, because this was, this was 2002, and I was very much like, you pray that prayer, man, that gets you in, which is not true, okay? But, um, but I was like, pray that prayer. So she prays the prayer. But also, someone also said, well, you better get them plugged in, right? So I'm like, all right. Hey, so she prays the prayer. We get her information. She follows up to this day. She is still in leadership at the Rock Church in San Diego, okay? Now, now I tell that story. Th- hear me. That obviously, if you didn't catch it, that has nothing to do with me, right? Like, I did nothing there other than show up, okay? God was the one answering, speaking, moving, saving, revealing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was just there, right? So instead of maybe being home or doing whatever, we were just there, and God decided to, to do work. Now, the reason why I tell you that story is not just to emphasize that God's at work and God does these things. It's more because I feel increasingly convicted honestly, about my own life. And when I come to preach to you guys at this text today, I want you to fully know that I am preaching to myself this morning. And when I was listening to Anthony's sermon last week about setting down some of the comfort for the sake of the mission of God, I mean, I was feeling the conviction and the weight of the Spirit saying, man, what, what's going on, man? And so this is the reality that I also live in the tension today. And so I, I wrestle with it with you guys. And so um, let's open up to Acts 16, verse 6. And we're going to work through three different stories this morning. We'll try and move quick so we don't have you here too long. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what we get here is, is, this is called the Macedonian call. And if you've, if you've been in church for a while, maybe you've, you've heard that language before. So what we have here is the Holy Spirit's like two times, hey, you're not going there, and you're not going there, and then I'm going to give you this vision, and you're going to go to Macedonia. Now, um, just for a context of what's going on here, again, God being the one who's moving here, right? God being the author and the director of this. So a, a thing we shouldn't learn from this text, though, right, that God always speaks like this, okay? Be, because I oftentimes, I mean, I'll, I'll meet with people and like, well, okay, you know what? Like the Macedonian call, man, the Holy Spirit has yet to give me a vision that I'm supposed to go there, and so I'll just stay put. Right, or he's yet to say audibly or clearly or through a vision of a man talking to me to go and do this so I won't do that which I know I ought to do. And vice versa, right? That no, no, so God did tell me this because clearly the Macedonian call says that God's always going to tell me audibly and through a vision that this is what my life should look like and what I should do. And so if I don't listen, then I'm being disobedient. This is not normative in the book of Acts, Okay. The Macedonian call is not the normative way that God seems to communicate with his people. That being said, 
What should we love? He does sometimes do this. And he is always the author and director of this story. Right? That he is the one placing us in movies. In Acts 17, the next chapter that we'll get to in the next week or two, it says that God appoints the times and places that you and I dwell, meaning there is not a place that you have lived or exist that was on accident. God is the director. He's the one moving and shaking and doing everything that happens in this world. Okay? So, so again, it doesn't always happen like this. It can happen like this, but he's always the author. Understand? That's the context for the rest of the story. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Semithrace. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where he supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. <clears throat> One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. Now, another little nugget for us as we look at this text. Now, we're going to see again three pretty amazing stories. The story that I shared uh, personally, right, about going and finding that girl on the beach, that, these are these amazing stories, right? Uh, and so they can kind of characterize then that like, hey, everywhere they go and act, there's just these amazing stories, right? So everywhere you go, there should be these amazing God conversion stories. That's just also not accurate. Sometimes that's going to happen, but look at the text, right? They, they go to three cities, and they pass through them, and there's no story. There's no narrative. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that nothing happened, but nothing of noteworthy enough to Luke to share the story, right? So, so here's the thing, right? So wherever you go, preach and share the gospel, but if God doesn't save someone there, or something magical or, or miraculous doesn't happen, it doesn't mean he's not there, not moving, or didn't do that on purpose, Sometimes we're just going, and we're ambassadors in every single place that we go, and that's all that matters, right? But then sometimes we're going to get a story like this one, okay? And so he goes, and they show up finally to Macedonia, where they had been called to by the vision. And they show up, and they're looking for a synagogue to preach at. There was not one, and so they find this place of prayer. And there is this woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia, a worshiper of God. Now, this does not mean the Christian God. She's not a Christian. She's not saved in this moment. Okay, she, she potentially is a believer in, in Yahweh, the Old Testament God, the God of the Jews. I know what you're thinking, you're thinking no way, and I'm like, Yahweh, and then, um, sorry, I had to. I couldn't get away from it. I tried, Verity was like, don't do it, and I said, I'm going to do it, yeah. And, and so this, this woman, here's what I love of the story. Lydia, this rich merchant woman, is the first convert to Christianity in all of Europe right? For this, it's just, it's just a little nugget for me to say, man, this is just, this book is just true. Because again, if you're telling a narrative about the explosion of a religion in this time at that place, the first, uh, the first woman to get converted is not, a, or first person to get converted in Europe is not a rich woman, okay? It's going to be some powerful man, right? But surely not a woman who is a woman, which therefore is not of the kind of select group that you'd want to advertise and, and market, like, hey, look who's coming in, right? But also a rich woman who was not normal, and, and, and in that, uh, in the Roman civilization, was kind of more kind of pushed downward. Yet the first convert to Christianity in all of Europe is this 
this rich woman named Lydia, a seller of, of probably purple dyes, right? Which was very rich and, and expensive. And so this is, this is her reality. So she's there. She goes to her place of prayer. And then, and, then God, and then the Bible, Luke says that the Lord opened her heart. Now, for those of you wondering what that means, that means that the Lord opened her heart, okay? That, that, that she, in and of herself, did not open her heart and say, yeah, I want that, right? But that God, in his authoring and directing and divine love and sovereignty, says, all right, Lydia, you're going to come to this place. Let me open your heart that the good news might come into your life, that she would be able to hear, listen, and believe in that which was being preached by Paul and his compatriots. And now, now this first God story is a conversion of an unlikely person who, I think if, if you look at it from a, just a physical, worldly perspective, did not really need God. Like she was wealthy. She kind of had her own thing going. She, we're gonna, she went and then like got baptized and then led a small group, right? Like, come on over. We're going to host this. And she had her own place. It doesn't say that she was married, so she had to be kind of independent and wealthy like that. She had no functional need for God, yet God opens her heart and saves her. When I read this story, man, this just reminds me of my mother. For those of you who were at the Orpheum just about two years ago, when we got to baptize my mom, and right, I filled the baptismal with my tears, right? 63 years old, preaching the gospel to her for like 15 years, and then two years ago, she gets saved and baptized, right? And my mom, like when I talked to her about the story, like she, she had no functional worldly need for God. Like my, my parents, they're well off. They got investment properties, right? They've, uh, they're, they're married for 45 years or something, right? They have two absolutely handsome and amazing kids, okay? <laughs> Super successful, okay? Like, she, in all respects, her life was good to go. But God opened her heart, and she believed, and it had nothing really to do. It wasn't because I shared in a winsome way that one week, unlike the, you know, 52 times 14 years, you get what I'm doing there, weeks before that, it was time. God moves. God is the author. God saves. Okay, so that's story number one. Story number two. Okay, here we go. As we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, I imagine when I was first reading this text, I was like, I know where this text is going. Like, this is great. we got this new believer. She's joining with the team. Look at what these people are preaching truth. No, man, Paul gets annoyed by this and then casts the Spirit out of her. Why? Why is he annoyed? Because he does not want the gospel to be intermingled with something demonic, right? Like, so he's like, listen, she's not really with us. Because all the other stuff that she's mixed up in, that's, that's a mess, okay? That's, that, that's, that's a big no. That, that's not what the, that's antithesis to the gospel. It's antichrist. 
And so she's like, no, 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 that he, she's not with us. And so he turns to this, this slave woman. Now, again, look, let's look at our first two stories. We have Lydia, this rich merchant woman who's probably well-respected in her community. And then we have this slave girl, poor, right? And we're going to find out that she was subject to these men above her that were using her for her gift, well, demonic gift, okay, for their gain. These are the two women, the first two women converts that we know of in all of Europe is a rich woman and a slave woman. God drawing all people to himself, the theme of Acts in inclusion of all people regardless of gender, background, etc., etc. does not matter. All are welcome in the church. God is building his church across all dividing lines. Okay. And so this woman... Uh, we, we just see such a beautiful thing in And then uh, it doesn't go well. This isn't going to go well for Paul, at least initially. And so let's look at the rest of the story in verse 35. Nope, 31. Nope, 25. Nope, 19. <laughs> I'm sick. So. But when her owners saw it, their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they have brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And they had inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so again, these, these guys who own this slave girl are, are getting upset because now... Listen, their cash cow is gone, okay? Because they were making all sorts of money off of this woman possessed, right? Uh, but by being able to fortune tell, so they were paying. So they begin to realize, or really not realize, but act on their idol of, of money and power, and they get really upset. And so they go to the magistrate and say, these guys are disturbing the peace. No, they're not, man. They're just treading on your financial security. And so they advocate enough, I guess, where then the people also kind of band together and they begin to attack Paul. They attack Silas and attack these guys. And then they throw them into prison. Now, if you've been with us in the book of Acts or if you're familiar with the book of Acts, now, the people have tried this before. Remember? Right? Peter was also thrown into prison before. And if you remember, it didn't go well for the people because Peter got out too. So now we get to see what's going to happen with these guys. But I wonder if they're thinking through this as they know, hey, we're going to put Paul and his buddies in prison. Remember what happened to Peter? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take him to the inner prison. I want you to fasten him with stocks. Just, I wonder if they're like, man, we really can't let him get out this time. Okay? That was embarrassing for everybody. And so get him in there and let's see what happens. Continuing in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, of course. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. So a, a few God stories in the midst of this kind of grand God story. The first one is that these guys get beaten, probably just, just short of their death, right? Like they're beaten with wooden rods and then thrown into inner prison, shackled on the ground. And what do they do? They have a worship session. 
right? They start singing praises in him. They're probably singing psalms to God, right? God, like, you, I, I mean, I don't, you're amazing. You're God. You're, right? Like, man, I stubbed my toe and I'm angry for 20 minutes, right? These guys get thrown into prison. They worship God. Man, this is, something is going on in the hearts of these men that understand and know God, okay? Secondly, um, God then intervenes by causing an earthquake. Now, you might be thinking, oh, well, earthquakes happen. Maybe this was just coincidence, okay? No. Earthquakes don't just happen, and they especially don't happen in places like this where archaeologically there are no faults, right? Earthquakes should not have just happened there. It wouldn't just be random earthquakes happening in this place. God causes a miraculous earthquake to happen here. He intervenes on their behalf. Everything is shaken. Their shackles come undone, and they are free, okay? Then the third thing, the third little God story piece. This is this jailer, I think, remembers what happened when Peter got out. Now, if, if, again, if you don't know that narrative, Peter, another one of the apostles, one of the leaders in the church, was thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, but then God intervenes, sends some angels, he gets out, and then what happens is, is Herod then goes and kills the soldiers that were guarding him, okay? And so this, this soldier now, right, this jailer is like, man, I'm, I'm as good as dead because they've gotten out again. Like, I've failed just like those guys failed. So he goes to take his own life, and then Paul and Silas intervene and say, hey, man, no, we're still here, right? And they're here for two reasons. One is because, listen, Paul and Silas are wrongfully imprisoned here, and they know it. The Roman citizens, they should not be in there. And so they want to make an example of what just happened. They know that, hey, if we stay, we're going to probably get out, and then this way we can do it lawfully, right? So instead of being kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, you know, when you're against the law? Outlaws, that's what it is. Jeez, I'm sick. Um, instead of being outlaws, they, they stay. And they go the lawful route. I think knowing that as they continue to want to preach the gospel, to create a context and environment where they can do this well, being the best possible Roman citizens that they can be, to live within that structure so that they can continue to preach. But also, I think there's a second and, and more beautiful reason uh, of why they stay. I think they stay because they know that although they're willing, oh, they know that they are willing to sacrifice their freedom for the sake of their enemy. That their enemy would be saved even at the expense of themselves. Now, now I, I don't, if you're not well-churched, Maybe that story doesn't sound all too familiar with you about one who would lay down their freedom, lay down their privilege, lay down their glory, lay down their... for the sake of the enemy to be saved. You see, th this is a moment for Paul and Silas to very tangibly witness about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Who, who God in heaven comes down to earth laying down privilege laying down freedom, being subject to the authorities and the rules of this world, that the enemies, that'd be all us, would be saved. And so this story ends, or this little part of the story ends with him saying, okay, no, why are you still here? This makes no sense. So you must be saying something true. What must I do to be saved? And here's their response. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And they took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The gospel is simple. Believe in the Lord and you will be saved. Other places, repent and believe. Confess and believe. Know your need for him. And believe in what Christ has done. And you will be saved. And so this, this, this last kind of conversion story. Again, let's, let's recap. We have this, this powerful rich woman. We, we have this slave woman, right, who let, let's be, probably no real connection to God. And then at the end here, you have this kind of, my guess is, Apathetic, apathetic, agnostic Roman who's not really believing in, in any monotheistic God at least, right? They're thinking more of kind of a polytheistic reality amongst the Roman world, all these Roman gods. But again, not looking for God in any such way. And yet God orchestrates and authors and appoints the times and places that Paul and Silas and Luke would dwell, that they would preach the gospel and be witnesses and ambassadors of the good news. And so anything, any place they're taken, despite how bad it may look, how contrary to how we think things should grow, right? That God, as he moves and authors, he's the one saving them. So he decides, hey, I want to get that jailer. So the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to get my, my guys. And they're going to get arrested and they're going to get beaten and they're going to get thrown into prison. But they're going to worship me and they're going to share the gospel. They live lives of integrity and we're going to save this guy. Okay. And th this is God moving. This is God authoring. And then the church, these, these men, us, the church around the world is called to just, just show up and be faithful. And trust God to do the conversion, the work, the God stories. That's why they're called that. Okay. Let's wrap it up with this last little passage in verse 35. When it was the day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said, And they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now want to throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave their city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they'd seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So again, they wanted to do things the right way, and they wanted kind of the, the entire world to know. We were sitting in this, uh, I guess, seminar. We were talking about the book of Acts, and they were kind of, the guy was kind of laying out the... Uh, the map of the area, the map of where their jail probably, jail cell probably was, where they would have been released, and how probably when they walked out, free men after, you know, the, the, the big kind of party it was that got them arrested, that they would have been walked out before the watching crowd, right? So, so everyone who saw them get thrown into prison, into jail, would now see these Roman officials walking them out as free men, right? An opportunity just to say, hey, listen, no, no, like, this is the power of God, and we're here to preach the gospel and the good news, okay? Doing things the right way. So a few things of application as we land, okay? First, um, I'd like for you guys, and I don't know uh, everyone's story in here, 
You know, I, I know a good amount of them, and I know probably most of you, but, but hear me, if you're here, you're not a believer, you're, you're not like by yourself. Every week, there are a good chunk of people here who come here and visit and listen and engage and ask questions who don't know Jesus, okay? So if that's your story, welcome. We love that you're here, okay? But I want to invite all of us to just think through our own story, right, of how God came and got you, right? How, how God opened your heart, how God set you free, Right? How God orchestrated all these events around you to bring people into your life that preach the gospel in spite of, I don't know, all the junk that you've been doing and I've been doing. When I think of my story, and there's enough new folk I see in the room that probably don't know it, but man, I was not searching for God, okay? At, at all, okay? I, I've joked about it before. I went to San Diego State University. Because I wanted to go to San Diego State University because it was a party school. Like, I, I had clear vision for the next four years of my life. And then I get to college, and then I got saved, right? But, but that, wasn't, that wasn't on me. And the way God orchestrated that was six of us were sitting in a room, in a living room at my best friend Matt's house. And this one girl, Katie, who kind of grew up in the church but not really, said to five non-believers, her being kind of a non-believer herself, hey, do you guys want to start a summer Bible study? And for some reason, five non-Christians who didn't want to know God, didn't love him, didn't worship him, didn't praise him, and wanted everything opposite to him said yes. And week two, I was preaching on Genesis 2 to the whole group. And Lord knows what I said. Okay. And every single one of the people in that initial six gets saved that summer and on into our freshman year of college. Okay. And then that group grew from six to, by the time that summer ended, there were 60 of us in a room. At least 50 of us weren't believers when we started going to that study. But God in a living room at Matt Stewart's house in 2002 said it was time. So he opened up hearts of a bunch of non-Christians and said, hey, this is the truth. And this is what I've come for. Okay? So I, I don't know what your story is, right? Like may, may, maybe you've got like right, one, one of the crazy stories we see in this. Maybe you, listen, maybe story, your story was I grew up in the church, and I've just been a Christian. Like, I was born into a baptismal, right? I mean, it just, like, fell right in there, okay? Like, if that's your story, listen, if you're still a Christian, you're probably the holiest of us all. Like, way to go, okay? Because statistically, it's more difficult even for you. The way the trends are going in with, with you crazy millennials. Technically, actually, I just, we were joking about this, but millennials, in 1984, sort of millennials. I'm born January 1st, 1984. This close. It's close, man. So stop ruining it for me, okay? Listen, what's your story? It's beautiful. Study it. Acknowledge it because it was God that came and got you. And I think the more we kind of pour over what God did in us, the more, man, naturally we just want to give that away, right? Like if you know the goodness of what God's done in your life that he came and orchestrated, I can't believe why would he have saved me and the, everything I was chasing towards does not make sense. God surely wants to do that in and through and around you, right? Number two, preach boldly in every season, okay? So wh whether or not, listen, you're, you're in school, you're at work, you're at home, you're married, you're, at the, you're playing at the playground, you're at the movie theater, wherever you're at, both in word and deed, Preach the gospel. Just, just preach the I mean, and I know it's like, yeah, you come to church, preach the gospel. Man, just, just 
there are people around you. I know it because we live in Flagstaff that don't know Jesus, okay? And, and maybe, just maybe, God doesn't want to, you know, use your words to, to lead them, you know, like and they're going to pray a prayer. It does not matter. God is the one saving. God is the one orchestrating. So preach, okay? There's an organization that we just got to meet with called Redeemed to Repeat. And, uh, and I love the title of their organization because the idea is that they've been redeemed and saved, that they would repeat the way they've been invested in in the gospel to someone else. Redeemed to repeat, redeemed to repeat. Know your story, share the gospel, okay? They go hand in hand. And then lastly, um, on almost every account we see in the book of Acts, right, where some crazy stuff goes on, where there's some persecution, there's some God stuff going on, um, we always see these guys circle back and they go and they encourage the new believers, Okay? They go and encourage the church. They circle back. So if you're here, and I don't know if you're a new believer or just, I, I, I use this word like, like an immature believer in the sense that like you just haven't been invested in, mentored, discipled, whichever word you want to use, please let us know. Like we want to we wanna meet with you. We want to know you. We want to get you a mentor. We have a mentorship program here. We match up someone who's maybe just even a step or two farther along the journey than you are and say, hey, let's, let's meet you up. Let's do coffee. Let's do meals. Let's sit down and let's be shaped together by the gospel and by the word of God, okay? And so if that's your story, man, get, come talk to us. We, we want to know. But also hear me, church, and this goes especially, man, since the day we started this church, our vision has always been to create a multi-generational, dynamic, diverse body of believers that would pour into one another as we seek to go reach the city, okay? Now, now I, I see a good handful of new faces and, and, and praise the Lord because we've been praying for this for like five years. We see a bit more gray in the room, okay? We need you. Like, to pour into a younger person. And I don't mean, like, a, I mean, like, someone, if you're 50 and you've been a Christian for 50 years, find a guy who's 40 and been a Christian for 40 years. Like, just pour into each other. They would see development and growth and a constant encouragement in our entire body to preach the gospel to a city that God does want to do work in and is doing work in. I pray that, man, we could, we could maybe see it more if it's just, man, if it's just like, a, ah, we're just too busy to look things, but we just start looking more, okay? Will we slow down a little bit and begin to look at what God's doing? If it's, uh, we're attributing too much to ourselves, then, man, maybe we repent and let that go and say, God, thank you for all that you're doing. I acknowledge and recognize it, and I praise you for it. Or if, if, it's, if it's that third one where it's, you know what, like, yeah, I've made my life so comfortable. I've made it so that, like, I don't have to ruffle feathers. I've made it so that my finances are so tightly wound that I can't be generous with my finances. If that's your story, man, guess what? Let that go. Lay it down for the sake of God's mission in you, through you, and around you. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you that you came. You did not have to come. 
Lord, I think sometimes I, I think I treat you as if like you had to do it. And uh, almost like I benefit you sometimes, Lord, and that is just so foolish. So God, I just want to pray, Lord, for my own heart and for the hearts of all of us in here that we would, in a, in a, in a deeper way, uh, then just even just a speck deeper, Lord, understand what you've done. God, how we were dead in our sin, how we were broken, how we were in need that we did not even realize we had. And then you came and got us. God, that you are at work and you want to be using your church and your bride and your people, God, for your glory, for your mission. So God, we just pray for the Holy Spirit to change us. We cannot change ourselves. And I pray for any in the room who did come today who don't know you. And again, it's not because anything we say, anything, anything, some awesome logical statement, God, I pray that you would open the hearts of people today and that they would see that you love them. You love them all the way into the cross. You died for them. God, that you rose from the dead to give them new life new life that is there, that you're calling them towards, Lord, would you open the hearts and save. God, bless us as a community. God, wherever these people come from, for those who are part of our community here, this expression of church, God, would you unite us? Would you shape us? Would you allow us to invest in one another, encourage one another, and preach the gospel to each other, that we would go and preach the gospel to our city? For any who are here who don't, Flagstaff's not home, it's in their church, God, wherever home is, use them in the same way. God, again, be praised, be worshipped, be glorified, because you are the author of it all. Please move in this place this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.